gotten to the end of a journey today. For the last few months, we've been looking at the question, why are we here? What is our reason for existence as the body of Christ at this place, at this moment in time? And we've looked at uh, several different ideas along this journey, hopefully giving you a sense of what the church, what we should be doing what our goals should be, and our heart's desire. And so we come to the end of the idea of evangelism, that we are supposed to be witnesses for the cause of Christ. Normally I will say something to the effect when the, when the music has really touched me, you better watch out because, you know, Some of this has been like saying, sick him to a dog. Uh, The music has touched me deeply today. Because in a few hours, I will be speaking with some members of a family who have very little hope. And I'm reminded how much people really do need the Lord. And this is our call. This is our purpose. This is what we are to be about in this world. Now, the writer of Proverbs painted a picture using an image that is used throughout the Word of God, throughout the Bible. And he talked about the difference between godly people and the path that they choose to follow and the wicked, those who don't care about God and the path they have to follow. And in Proverbs 4, 18 and 19, The writer said, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. And here's the challenge. All those people in the world who are walking in darkness, who have no hope, is there no hope for them? Are the ones stumbling in the darkness doomed to walk in that deep darkness throughout their life? Or is there a chance? Is there a chance that they can discover the path that shines brighter to the full of day? I believe there is hope. I believe there is hope that the the most wicked of the wicked in this world have hope if someone strikes a light in their world. If someone shines a light that they see and they embrace. And that brings us to the very last passage in this series on why we're here. The reason for our existence is Bay Vista Baptist Church or any church in this world. Lighting a light in the darkness. It is one of the most well-known Images Christ used, it takes place in the Sermon on the Mount. And I need you to understand real quickly, and we've, we've delved into this incredible passage before, the Sermon on the Mount. This was being preached primarily to the disciples. They were his target audience that day. He took them up and tried to lead them away from the crowds to teach to them. And the crowds show up, and some people hear the words, 
who are not followers. This message was intended for people like you and me. Citizens of the kingdom of God. And Jesus preaches it so that followers will know how citizens of the kingdom of God are supposed to act. And so let's take a look at this very familiar passage of Scripture and open your heart up to it, and I ask you to stand. Listen carefully with both ears and your heart to Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus told his disciples, you are the light of the world. Now, if you know your Gospels well enough, you know that Jesus also told his disciples that he was the light of the world. That may sound confusing. I'm the light of the world, you're the light of the world. Let me read that statement to you from John chapter 9, verse 5. And listen carefully how Jesus made that statement to his disciples at that moment. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And Charles Price has pointed out, when Jesus uses that qualification, while I'm in the light of the world, the implication is clear. As long as I am in the world, I'm going to be giving the light of God, the light of the kingdom of God. But there's coming a time when I will no longer be in the world. And when I am gone, you're going to take up the light. While I'm gone, you're going to continue the ministry that I have begun, shining the light of the world. He was essentially telling them, what I am, you will be in an amazing way to the world before you. And he's letting them know, these dear people who followed him and loved him and will continue for years to come, they were supposed to be shining on. Continually shining for the kingdom of God. Shining the light that others should see. Should see. So folks, we need to get something really clear in our minds today. You and I. If we are followers of the Lord, we are meant to bring light into a world of darkness. We are meant to shine. But how do you do it in a world that's this dark? How do you do it in a world that doesn't particularly look for the light? Well, today I want us to to pay attention to certain realities in our text. And they are realities that speak to what, well, to who we are. And it's important that you get this. These are the realities that should guide our life here. And the very first, which is kind of overwhelming when we think about it, 
We are a light that can make a difference in this world. We are a light that can make a difference. This is incredibly important because most people want to think their life has some significance. Most people want to know that I made a difference by being here. That's one of the reasons is it's a wonderful life. It's such a loved Christmas movie. We all want to believe we've made a difference. Christ is saying you can make a difference. You see, Jesus' use of the imagery of light was to show his disciples the impact that they should be having on their world, that they should have on the world in front of them. As I said earlier, images of light and darkness are used throughout the Word of God. A Dutch-American theologian, Gerhardus Voss, made a point that was very important for us to hear. Out of all of the natural elements in this world, whether it be wind or water, whatever it may be, he said it appears that the natural element of light is used more frequently as with an association to God than any other element. And when we look at this idea, the Lexham Bible uh, Dictionary has an entry on light and darkness, and it points out in the Old Testament, light was linked to the very presence of God himself. Darkness was involved with all of those who walked opposite of what God wanted them to be. When we move into the New Testament, there's a subtle shift. Light in the New Testament is no longer focused per se on the Father. Instead, it shifts to the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I mind you, in Matthew, uh, in his the same gospel that this sermon is, in a prediction moment in time, uh, explaining the birth of Christ, Matthew wrote in 123, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus Christ is the presence of God Almighty in this world today. And he is the one who shone the light. And so in the parable of the light, when he said, you won't light a light and put it under a bowl, and the King James basket or bushel uh, is, is not a good translation. This is talking about an earthen bowl that might be used for anything in your house. But in the parable, Jesus said, You don't light that light and stick it under a bowl. Folks, I'm not a physicist. But I know what happens when you cut off oxygen to a light. It dies. And it's not going to give light. And he says, that doesn't make sense. So when he tells them, you are the light, what he is actually telling them, you are showing the world that you are connected to me. You are demonstrating to the world that you are my followers. You are following me. And your task is to tell the good news that you have discovered. When he says you are the light, having said I am the light, they will understand they are an extension of the ministry of Jesus Christ. This is important for us to get. As light of the world, we are now supposed to be on mission, showing people the light. And it's important that you know the disciples actually had light. Now, 
I know we're using metaphors, but they have light. Did you notice Jesus said, you are light? Not that you have it in the way we normally think. You are light. Uh, the you in this verse, now I stressed it while I was reading, you can't really see it in an English text. But the you is emphatic in this sentence. It's written in such a way that that's the word that you really hear. And it's as if Jesus was saying, with all that crowd around him, he looks at the disciples sitting at his feet and he says, you and you alone, my followers, you are light. And the art indicates the art indicates the state that they are in. This is who they really are, light. And so they were meant to shine light in darkness because they're light. And folks, what does light do? It shines. So he's not just telling them, shine your light. He's saying, be the light. And when you are the light, the light will pierce the darkness. So we need to get this. We need to understand this. We need to live it. The light of Jesus, which we bear, can bring people out of the darkness. It is crucial. If we're going to be the body of Christ, the Lord wants us to be. If we're going to be the individual followers, it is crucial for us to sit and understand. We need to understand that Christ has given his ministry of light to each one of us. You are the light. Frank Stagg, I've mentioned him before, New Testament uh, theology professor in New Orleans for many, many years, lived in Diamond Head for such a long time. The first time I met him, I was taken aback. I loved his readings for so many years. When I finally met him, he was about this tall, and I was quite certain he had to be six foot eight or something. But Stagg said something beautiful. A mark of the redeemed is that they are redeeming. Let that sink in. We are told in the word of God, we are given the ministry of reconciliation. That we are ambassadors for the kingdom of God. And so as the redeemed of Christ, we're supposed to be showing people redemption. We're supposed to be, as the saved of God, we're supposed to be introducing other people to the salvation that Jesus Christ means. In short, we weren't saved just for us. My personal salvation has never been meant to be just about me. And I know that's hard for Americans to grab hold of. We are very individualistically minded. But the moment I gave my life to Christ, I took upon myself the mantle of light. Christ has chosen to use his redeemed to bring redemption into this world. That's the way he's going to do it. And this is important because an old legend says that when Jesus ascended to the Father after his resurrection, the angel band gathers around him and they're, 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 they're just full of so, excitement, so much excitement. They say, well, what happens next? What's next? He says, my disciples are going to take the good news of the kingdom out into the world and let people know the way to salvation. And the, and the angels 
knowing the record of humanity, are not as excited right now. But what if they don't? What if they fail? What are you going to do then? To which Jesus replied, there is no other plan. It's us. It's in our hands to tell the world about the light that's come in to destroy the darkness. So we need to understand this. We need to really get it. This is for each one of us. We are the means of getting the light of Christ into the hearts of the darkness of sin. Each one of us can be used by God to touch someone with the good news of Jesus Christ. This ministry is for each one of us. So when we say the light can bring people out of the darkness, please notice the pronoun we. When I say the ministry of light is given, please notice to each one of us, we are the light and we need to be shining. And that's going to happen consciously, living out what we are before the world because you have to be before you can do. Our light's going to shine when we remember our next reality. We are a light that should never be hidden. We are a light that should never be hidden. And Jesus Jesus had a way of taking these incredibly complex ideas and and bringing them down to where people could get hold of it, Jesus let his disciples know they were not to hide away from this world. This is all what it's all about. Now, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount starts with the Beatitudes, and we love them, and they're wonderful, and they're great, but we love them and think they're wonderful and great because we're looking at them from the perspective of people of faith. You need to understand, these blessings that Christ uttered were completely contrary to the wisdom of the world of his day, and they are completely contrary to the wisdom of the world of our day. Let's just look at the opening statements. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the people who know they have absolutely nothing they could offer God. Blessed are they that mourn. And I think here in the context of this passage, he's saying blessed are those whose hearts are broken because they know they have no hope with God in their own selves. Then blessed are the meek. And meek means weakness today, just like it did in Jesus' day. But it actually means to be under control. They've now come to understand, since I can't produce salvation, I need to yield my life to the one who can. And now, he is Lord of my life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Their number one goal in life is not to gain the most toys, not to become famous, not to become wealthy, not to become popular. Their number one goal, Lord, help me learn what it means to hunger for you at the very depth of my being. To hunger for the right life, the godly life, the true life. Blessed are those who show mercy. Folks, I'm part of the generation 
that grew up with expressions like winning through intimidation, looking out for number one. I remember the year bumper stickers started showing all, all over the place in Northeast Texas. Don't get mad, get even. That's the world in which we live. Jesus says when somebody has been captured by the kingdom of God, they're able to show mercy and kindness because they have received the mercy and kindness of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Not blessed are those who can scream louder than the other people in the argument and therefore win. Blessed are those people who are trying to build bridges of reconciliation between people most importantly, between people and God. And blessed are those who are persecuted. Not because they have a martyr's complex, not because they're mean people and people go after them. You're persecuted because you have embraced all of these beatitudes to live for God. Now, if you're hearing that in first century Palestine, and you're one of the disciples, then you already have a frame of reference your mind may be going through. You see, there was a group of people. We now know, we know them as the Essenes. They were down near, uh, near the Dead Sea, uh, the, 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 the most uninhabitable sea on earth. They were there. We believe they are the ones responsible for what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they were a community of faith that said the world is so rotten, so sinful, so terrible, we're going to pull completely away from the world. That's the only way we can escape its ungodliness. And we're going to be a godly community living for the light. Folks, the Essings thought the Pharisees were sinners. Not the main idea of most of the people of Judea. So I could see the disciples. Here we are in a mountain in Galilee. Jesus is telling us, we're not supposed to be like the world. Well, Jesus, when do we pack up and when do we head out for the desert? But the whole point of the statement we've read today and the one that immediately precedes it, you are the salt of the earth. And if you lose your saltiness, what are you worth? Jesus was telling them, you can't leave. You can't run away. It's unacceptable from you to hide from the world. Do you remember in John 17, the Lord's Prayer? He prayed to his Father, and I've mentioned it not too long ago. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you to keep them safe from the evil one. Jesus was telling his followers, you must let your light permeate into the darkness. You must let your light shine in places. Nobody ever thought the light of God could shine. And he uses two images to draw that home. No one can hide a city on a hill. And please notice, it's been pointed out, he did not say no one should hide a city on the hill. He says you can't do it. Now in Galilee, as in a lot of hilly countries, your towns tended to be built on the hills for a lot of different reasons. One, it was a lot easier to defend. Well, you know what? You may be able to hide a town in a little valley. But once it's on the mountaintop, 
everybody's going to see it. And when you keep in mind in Galilee in Jesus' day and in our day as well, many homes are built with a white limestone. So it's not only on top of the mountain when the sun bounces off it, it glistens. You can't hide the city on a hill. And then the second image, you don't light a lamp and then cover it. Again, he doesn't say you shouldn't do that. He says people don't do that. It would take somebody with severe mental issues to say, I'm going to spend my life lighting and covering lamps. You don't do it. And and Natalie's right. It's a, a small earthen lamp. Much like the one on the screen, it's filled with oil. You've got a wick in it. You don't cover it. You put it on a lampstand. Now, keep in mind, in Jesus' day, most of the people's homes were one-room homes. So when he says you set it on a stand, and, and it doesn't matter what height it is, a stand, it will give light to everybody in the house and what Jesus was telling them. You are meant to shine. This is completely important for Jesus' followers to understand. We were never meant, they were not to withdraw from the world. Now he's telling people who in a few years will see their master and savior beaten to death, put on a cross, and hung out to die. And not long after that, they're going to be arrested. Why can't we run away, Jesus? Because if you do, the light will not shine. You are meant to be seen. I'm asking you to trust me here. Because there is an apparent contradiction in the book of Matthew. Matthew 5, 16, we are told, let your light shine before men so they will see your good deeds. But in Matthew 6, 1, we read, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. That sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? Don't let your deeds be seen, let your deed, or do let your seeds be, deeds be seen. Well, I'm going to come back to that. Just trust me. Right now, I want to focus in the text we're looking at. Jesus said, I want you to shine your good deeds out for the world to see. We'll come back to why it's not a contradiction in just a moment. But we need to understand isolation is forbidden the followers of Christ. I've told you this on more than one occasion. I understand the idea to run away. I've told you there have been times in my life the idea of being 100, 200, 300 miles from the nearest human being is appealing to me. Just give me a place It's big enough for my books and me, and I could be happy till the day I die. I understand that. There's part of me that likes that idea. But Jesus told his disciples and therefore tells us, you are light. What does that mean for you and me? Well, if we're followers of Christ, if we're members of the body, if we are citizens of the kingdom of God, It is in our very spiritual DNA 
to be light in the world. Someone has said any believer who fails to function as light is going against his nature as God's new creation. Any person who says, I'm going to hold my light, I'm not going to shine it, I'm not going to get involved because the moment you stick your head out, it's going to get chopped off. The moment you say something, you're rocking the boat, so I'm just going to hold it and I'm going to go to church on Sunday and I'm going to say my prayers in quiet. I'm just going to hide. The moment she does that, she's no longer shining the light. She's created to shine. So we must embrace our nature to be seen for the cause of Christ. This is what we do here. This is our action. We must embrace. We must be ready. We must acknowledge we are called to shine. We are the light of the world. We are the redeemed who are meant to be redeeming. And if we truly are the children of Christ, the children of our God, we cannot hide what we truly are. So if you really do love the Lord, sooner or later that light's going to peek out. What I want us to understand today, we should not be trying to hide it. Because if we truly are Christ's, the light will shine. We will be means of people meeting the Lord. So when we realize we're supposed to be shining. We can make the difference in the world Christ calls us to make. And we can understand our final reality. We are a light that will bring glory to God. See, Jesus tells them, you're the light of the world. And when he says they'll see your good deeds and they'll bless the Lord, they'll, they'll praise the Father for this, Jesus explained to his disciples why they needed their good deeds to be seen. And here is the difference between Matthew 5.16 and Matthew 6.1. When he says in Matthew 6.1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others as to be seen by them, he's about to launch into a discussion of the hypocrites, the Pharisees. And the difference between Matthew 5.16 and Matthew 6.1 is motivation. Why does the hypocrite want people to see his godliness? Why do they love to stand on the street corner and pray loud to God? Why do they make want to make sure that you know exactly how many coins they drop into the, the offering plate at the temple? Why is it they do everything to be seen? And folks, it's not just the New Testament that does this. The Pharisees actually made fun of themselves. Uh, some of their writings, they talk about the difference between good Pharisees and bad Pharisees. And my favorite of all time, they describe the bruised and bleeding Pharisee. And this is a man who is so concerned that everybody knows he's holy and that he would never think an impure thought. He walks through life like this. Because if he raises his head, he may see a woman and lust after her. So they said every time he runs into a wall, 
Every time he hits a beam, he gets a new knot. He gets a new bruise. And everybody says, that is a holy man. Look at me and how wonderful I am. Look at me, I'm better than you. When Christ says the real light that shines, when you're shining your light, it's not about you being in the limelight. It's not about you wanting glory for yourself. You want to shine your light, not to say I'm holier than you. You told them you'll want to shine your light so people will understand why you are godly and why you are true. You want to shine because you want God to get all of the glory. It was never meant about bringing attention to themselves. It was all about having an opportunity to share the truth of the light and to let your good deeds shine. So just what were the good deeds? Notice he doesn't explain this. John Stott argues that it seems good works is a general expression to cover everything a Christian does as well as everything a Christian says. Everything you do in this world should be shining light upon the mass of darkness, pointing them to God. You see, Stott rightly points out in the word, light is often used to talk about what is true, to show the truth. Well, folks, the reality is my light shining without any explanation doesn't tell people truth that they need the light. When I am conscious that the way I live my life and the way I use my words for the kingdom, that's what's going to show people the difference. And Stott said without apology, and I agree with him 100%, Evangelism must be counted as part of the good deeds that are to be shown to the light. We've got to let people see not only that my life is lived, I'm a compassionate, I'm a concern, I'm a kind person, not because I'm just a great guy, but because I've been touched by the Christ, the Son of the living God. Everything we are Everything we do should reflect the God we serve, the Christ who gave himself for us. And it's true, yes. If you and I decide to shine our light, it may bring persecution. Remember the beatitude, blessed are you when you're persecuted for my name's sake. But folks... If we hide our light because of fear, we might be persecuted. We are failing in who we are supposed to be. Shining the light would lead someone to glorify God. Shining the light will cause people to touch be touched by the Lord. Shining the light means lives will point to the wonders of God. And this is amazing to think about. It will point people to wonders. And it's important we get this. 
Now, the light that you and I shine, we need to acknowledge, is a derived light. It is not our own. Therefore, we don't have any reason to brag we're better than you. It's not our light. Now, Jesus uses the example he had before him in their world, an oil lamp. A gentleman by the name of Charles Price talks about something we're far more familiar with, a light bulb. we got a lot of bulbs shining right now in this room. How are they shining? Is it because they're light bulbs? They're shining because they're connected to light source. They're connected to a source of electricity. Now, if they're not shining, we have a few of those too, something may well be wrong with the bulb. But I guarantee you, you could pick any bulb you want that is shining in this room today if you could get somebody brave enough to get the ladder out. And you could take it out of that light fixture. And guess what? It doesn't matter how good the light is. You remove it from its source. What happens? It quits shining. And so we need to understand the reason we can shine for God is because we know the Lord Jesus Christ. When we keep that in mind, when we understand that we are to be connected, living, loving Christ, serving Christ, then that's where the good news of Jesus Christ, the the words take place. We're able to tell people about Jesus. Now, please understand. If I'm not living that connected life, I can talk about Jesus all I want. Everybody in this room, I am quite certain, has known somebody who talked a good talk and whose life denied everything they said. I've told you before, and this is not facetiously, I've told you there are some people that wore the name Christian that I've met in my life that I thank God every day. They were not the first Christian I met because their lives would have driven me away from Jesus. So our lives must be lived for the glory of God. We must do what Christ has called us to do. You want to know what he's calling us to do? Read very carefully the Sermon on the Mount and understand what Reinhold Niebuhr calls it the impossible possibilities. It's impossible for us to live the Sermon on the Mount and it becomes possible only as we are related to Jesus Christ. So our lives must shine, but I've got to be able to explain why. Because if I'm a good guy, it doesn't tell people why I'm good, does it? We must shine. So we need to carefully let people see the difference Christ makes. It is in that difference that there will be a call to a more meaningful life. Folks, this is one of the reasons, and one more time, if you'll allow me to chase this rabbit for like two seconds or three, be careful on Facebook. Be careful on Instagram. Be careful on Twitter. Do not say praise Jesus one moment and then I hate their guts the next. If our lives deny, people won't want to hear what we say. But if they see there is is real there, 
maybe they'll listen. It is in that difference and hope that there is a possibility to begin anew. I know people who have very rough testimonies, and they're sometimes ashamed of it. And I try to tell them, listen, you will be able to touch people in ways I never will. You, as an alcoholic, who's found recovery and are still working hard, can speak to somebody who is an alcoholic in ways I can't because they're going to look at me and you're a preacher. You don't know what's going on. I could tell them the number of alcoholics in my family and the fact that I've been on the family side of it. But when people can see the difference Christ can make in our lives, then there's hope that that difference could be in theirs. I recently... Uh, became aware of an incredible documentary it's by David Attenborough. And it's called Life Light on Earth. If you have uh, our, someone who has Amazon, uh, excuse me, HBO Max, my kids paid for uh, to be able to see this, it's there and you can get it on Curiosity Stream. But it's an incredible, it, it, the whole, the whole, uh, Work is built on bioluminescence in the world. And in that documentary, David Attenborough reads part of a, a sea captain's log from January 25th, 1995. He was the captain of the SS Lima, which was a British merchant vessel. And listen to what he said. On a clear night, moonless night, while about 150 miles east of the Somalian coast, a whitish glow was observed on the horizon. And after 15 minutes of steaming, the ship was completely surrounded by a sea of milky white color with a fairly uniform luminescence. It appeared as though the ship was sailing over a field of snow or gliding over the clouds. And Attenborough points out these stories have been part of, of sea lore since at least as far back as the 1700s. Jules Verne in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea has a, a place where he describes such an event. But nobody had ever been able to scientifically confirm that such a thing exists until January of 1995. Uh, a group of Marine biologists heard about the story, and they had an incredible idea. They, they got a defense meteorological satellite. Steve, Dr. Stephen Haddock led the team, and they went to the day that the Milky Sea was recorded, and they checked the satellites, and after they cleaned up the imagery of the picture, they discovered an area almost 200 miles long of a glowing sea. And they tracked it over the next three days as it moved with the tides of the ocean. They were actually able to confirm that such an event happens. And they understood what was happening. And this is where it gets absolutely mind-boggling. That huge, larger than the state of Connecticut, White glowing sea was the result of bacteria. One of the smallest things on earth you cannot see with the naked eye. The bacteria love feeding on dying and dead things. 
And this particular bacteria loves feeding on dying algae. That had been observed before. But now you have millions and millions of bacteria on a huge floating degree of rotting algae. And as each one is eating and they get excited and they start letting their chemistry go, they start lighting up. And as they touch, things that cannot be seen alone by the human eye was seen 600 miles up in orbit. Friends, please understand this. There is no place that our light cannot reach if together as the body of Christ we decide we want to shine the light. We want to glow for Jesus. We want to point people to the one who can give them hope. So we must remember, and I pray that this goes way beyond these last three weeks, but becomes a pattern of our lives. We must remember we are a light that can make a difference. You can curse the darkness of this world. You can say how rotten it is. Or we can say, we're going to shine Jesus. We won't touch everybody, but we will touch some. A light that can make a difference. We must commit ourselves to letting that light shine. To just letting it glow. And showing people who we are and telling them why. Showing them what we are and showing why. We must show others our source of our light. The light of Jesus Christ. And so today, I'm asking you to commit yourself to shining. I shared earlier in this series, we never know when the opportunity to shine will come. And God has opened a door for me this afternoon that I had not planned on. I had no idea. Before this day is over, the Lord may nudge you. It's time to put your light on the stand. We need to commit to shining. We need to get rid of the bowls in our life that we have used to hide our light. We must commit to doing what we are called to do, to being what we are called to be. So let's shine on. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, let's go to the Father and pray for courage, pray for strength, pray that he reminds us there are people in darkness who need to see the light. And ask God to give you the courage to be such a one that will shine.